Yes, you were abused. Um, yes, you did fail. You can't reject that because it's not a lie. It's true. But that's not the truest thing about you. Welcome to Life, Love, and Family. How many times have you heard this? I'm sick of all the fake, show-off, put-on type people out there. I want people just to be real, authentic. Here's a thought. What about you? What about your identity? Are you real? You put on a show, you fake. Today's topic, the truest thing about you. I wish you could see me now. I wish I could show you how I'm not who I was. I used to be mad at you. On the hurts I do, but I'm not who I was. I found my way around to forgiving you some time ago, but I never got to tell you. So Welcome back to Life, Love, and Family. Hi, I'm Dr. Tim Clinton. Our topic today, the truest thing about you. You know, there are a lot of words out there that describe you, like mom or dad, shy, outgoing. Maybe it's fun or friendly. Maybe it's depressed or a failure. Those are words that are true about you, but are they the truest thing about you? That comes straight from our special guest, David Lomas. He serves as a lead pastor of Reality in San Francisco. It's a church community that was started in 2010 in the Castro District. He and his wife Ashley live in one of the most unchurched cities in the nation, but one that is now burning with new life and the grace of God. The Reality Family of Churches is a growing movement committed to relational church planning and serving the broader body of Christ. David, welcome into Life, Love, and Family. Thank you for having me today, Tim. David, my kids, they kind of think I'm going through a midlife crisis. I told them that I'm going to get my Harley out and start riding that thing. I might grow a little beard, David. I saw a guy in the vet the other day, middle-aged. I thought, you know what? He looks pretty good. I can see myself doing that. New day, new me. David, you talk about we're all living in a perpetual identity crisis. Uh, do you think there's any hope for me? Am I alone? You're not alone. I was going to say, Tim, I think everyone goes through one of those things every three years nowadays. <laughs> like, I'm going to change my look. I'm going to grow a beard. I'm going to grow my beard big. I'm going I'm to shave it off. I'm going to do this. So, yeah, there's hope for us all. There are a lot of descriptors out there that, uh, let me use the word labels for a moment, because in the counseling world, we have to give diagnosis to people, oh, you're depressed, you have a personality disorder or something, but there are words out there that people hear about themselves, like depressed or crazy. Those words, those voices, you're just like your father, begin to have pretty strong, profound influence on us, don't they? We can get into ruts. I think that's kind of how we shape an identity is all these voices that we hear from the outside, all these voices that we hear from ourselves, even on the inside of our own head sometimes. And some of those things are just outright lies, but some of them are very true. And that's what's so confusing. Like we'll have someone say to us, you're no one, you're nothing. We know that's a lie, but then we hear you're depressed. We're like, well, that's kind of true. I am depressed. And we don't know how to like separate what's true, what's lie. And then so either end up believing all of it or we believe some convoluted part of it. The fact is that some things are true and some things are truer, but there's like a truest thing that we're called to base our identity on. And unless we do that, we're all in big trouble. David, I loved your book, The Truest Thing About You, Identity, Desire, and Why It All Matters. But there was a line in your book early that really grabbed me. Understanding our identity is an act of hope. Can you explain that real quick to our listeners? I love that line too. I love it because it still speaks to me. I, I didn't write this book. 
because I figured it out. I wrote it I wrote it because I needed it. It's an act of hope because once we understand, once we truly get as a follower of Jesus our identity and then take that truth and push it down to the core of our being, it brings hope because it liberates us, it frees us, it transforms every relationship, everything we do, every job, every bit of performance anxiety we have, it transforms everything. And so it's an act of hope, it's an act of rebellion in the face of all these other lesser truths. So understanding our identity is everything. You know, when you look at people in their everyday life, David, though, you realize we get lost. And a lot of it just has to do with how we base our self-worth or value. Can we step back for a moment and just uh, look at some things that drive our perspective on our identity? The word do. Let's start there. A lot of who we are or who we think we are is based on what we do, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, it makes sense. I am what I do because what we do, we end up doing most of our time. If we hold full-time jobs or we're stay-at-home parents, that's what we do. And so we think, uh, well, I am the person for myself. I'm a pastor. So I am my next sermon. I am my counseling appointment. If those things go good, I'm good. And so I am what I do. An example would be, whoever done something really, really good, like, I mean, the ultimate extreme thing would be like winning the Olympics or something. You know, you do whatever you do and you win gold at it. And people walk up to you and go, I love you. I love you. You're awesome. And, you're, and you go, yes, I'm lovable. Like, I love me too. Like, I, I'm, I'm involved in this whole love thing. But if you fail, like completely fail, and someone walks up to you and says, I love you, we don't want to hear it. We're like, no, you don't. You don't love me. There's no way. You can't love me. Even if you do love me, I don't want you to love me. I'm not lovable right now. We base so much on what we do that we even receive or reject love based on what we do. That's how tied in what we do is into our identity. And the fact is, we're not what we do. We are not. That may be true, but it's not the truest. I know that I keep saying that, but that's kind of the way it, it makes sense in my own mind. Like, yes, what I do, I'm a pastor, that's true about me, but it's not the truest thing. It's not going it, to, it doesn't dictate my identity. It doesn't dictate even sometimes my mood. So I have to base myself on my belovedness in Christ. Like, I'm the beloved of God. I think almost every Christian knows that, but we don't push that down to the core fundamental place of our identity. No, we don't. It just, we're kind of just there, you know, like, yeah, I'm loved, I'm loved, I'm beloved. If we believe it, why are we so neurotic about everything? And why do we have to prove ourselves by what we do all the time? I admit to him, I still do it. I have to keep pushing this belovedness down to the core of who I am. Uh, we also base our self-worth or identity, David, on what I have. He who has the most toys wins, of course, right? Yeah, I am what I have. That's another framework that we use. Some people could, like, they base their identity on their charm, their looks, that the person everyone wants to date, wants to talk to. Or there's, like, this whole negative side to I am what I have. I am what I'm not attractive. I'm not that person. I'm the person who was abused, and that's what I have. That's like my lot in life. I was abused when I grew up. I grew up without a dad in the home. I have a disability or a setback that I can't get over. I've been given this thing, and it's either given to me by my family of origin, given to me by my genetics or whatever, and I can't escape it. We turn our ethnicity or our whatever it is into our identity. A lot of us do this all the time that they're the abused one, and they run everything through the filter of being abused. You can't reject that because it's not a lie. It's true. Yes, you were abused. Um, yes, you did fail. Yes, you did get fired from your job, but that's not the, that's not the truest thing about you. Desire is another word you, you set forth here where we get confused or lost in our journey to understanding who we are. 
our worth, our value. Now, how does the word desire fit in there? I want to be a superstar. I, I want to be the next NFL quarterback. I, I, I want to win the gold. How does desire get us messed up? So desire, this is what the controversial one, I think. Because I think more people that are growing up in this generation, this millennial generation, is really basing their identity on what they want. And I don't mean like, I want to succeed as much as I mean who I want to have sex with or who I want to sleep with, who I want to love. Their identity becomes a sexual identity. I am what I desire. And this is so apparent in major urban areas in America. This is so apparent in the way that America is shifting on this topic. I am who I want to love, and that's the truest thing about me. Yeah, that becomes like everything for us, desire. And so I'm same-sex attracted, let's say that. And once the person says that, that desire gets more true about than their faith. So they have to go, well, I have to now leave the church. I don't, how do I have to look at the Bible? How do I look at God? It's like brings everything into question because you're attracted to someone of the same sex or something. It's absurd. We've done these sexual identity labels that are not true. They've only been around for the last like couple hundred years, and it's not what we base our identity on, who we want to be with. It sure is steering a lot of stuff out there. Sexual self-expression is seen by a lot of people as basically the heart of healthy personhood. Exactly. Unless you know yourself sexually, you don't know yourself. That is such a lie. Sexual identity is basically the way people find who they are. Those labels are very new. Those labels are very destructive. And especially in a Christian conversation, when we start talking about it, I think the church, I would like the church to be reoriented around the fact that if you're in Christ, you're beloved, and that's the label that we should all wear. And then we to take all those desires and submit them under the Lordship of Christ. We just get lost, don't we? I think about my everyday life, I look at the people around me, and then you start understanding concepts like lost boy syndrome or more. Frantically, all the labors of a man's hands are for his mouth, but his soul goes unsatisfied. It, it reminds me of that old Disney movie uh, on Simba, when, when the old baboon Rafiki, he says, Simba, you don't even know who you are. Yes. We don't know who we are anymore. Now, that's a great example. I should have used that one in the book. We have to know who we are. So you can live into God's purpose, why he created you, why he made you. And unless we know that, unless we understand who we are, we're lost. We're completely lost. Our special guest today here on Life, Love, and Family is David Lomas, pastor of Reality Church-based movement out of San Francisco. His new book called The Truest Thing About You, Identity, Desire, and Why It All Matters. It's a moving book. I'll tell you what, it certainly has moved me. And David, in this, you take us to a place where you say it really anchors itself in the image of God. Yeah. You have got to understand that concept because if you don't get that piece right, you're going to randomly be all over the place trying to figure out or put some value or worth on your life that doesn't matter. Yeah, when I tried to write this book, that was the thing. It was like, I want to take the readers through this journey where I'm not just writing to the mind but almost like to the heart. I want people to feel when they're reading this book. The first stop we stop at is at the image of God. Every single person, from the homeless person that lives under the bridge near you to the person who is your neighbor, literally, is made in the image of God. Unless there is a reference point outside of ourselves, we can never know who we are. So the world says, hey, look deep down. What do you want to do? What do you, what do you want to be? That's who you are. The Bible says you'll never find yourself that way. You must look 
to God. He's your creator. He's your maker. And unless you look to him, you'll be lost in a maze of confusion. You're completely lost. And so we do. We stop in Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2. How did God make the world? How did God make us? And then what is it in our inherent kind of personhood that God has put in us that we need to get back to? Because unless we get back there, unless we know that, we're lost. We'll just think, hey, I, I am what I want to do today. I am what society tells me, what it is to be American. And I think we convolute those two things. We, we're very much Western American people, and we need to go back to, well, no, I'm, I'm made in the image of God, and so I'm, my life isn't this individualist approach to happiness. I was made for community. I was made for God. I think the first application of Adam and Eve, it was marriage, but it was also community. Because there's no way that Adam could reflect the image of God alone. God made him in his image, and God's a community. Let us make man in our image. It's not good that Adam's alone, because God's not alone. God's a community. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. So creative, and basically forms a brand new community. And the reason, Tim, I can say, I think marriage is an application, but not the application, is because Jesus was single, and he had a community, and he wasn't married, and he was the perfect human who has ever lived. Community is a huge, huge part of being human. You're not meant for your individualist life, your individualism, and your pursuit of happiness. You're created for others and be with others. David, speak to, say, midlife guy trying to figure it out, trying to hold on to some things, hoping for a better life. How does the image of God then apply to me personally? Tim, listen, get this point right here. What do I lay my hands to that I get the aha experience? Tim, I'd say first that because God made you in his image, he made you for community. So your friendships matter. Your community matters big time. And midlife crisis is often, it's this, I want to experience life for me. Maybe I've got robbed from something I didn't get to experience. And life isn't made up of that. Life is made up of community. It's also made up of like you creating with God. Take the garden and keep it and care for it. Like Take what I've made, this forest, and turn it into a garden. You were created to create and help make culture with God. And part of what you're doing is creative, like partnering with God. If you have a family, that's one of the parts that you'd be able to create a family that serves and worships God. Find that thing in your life that you can do with other people and with your spouse that gives you life that's creating and adding culture to your city in Jesus' name and do that well. Why don't you pour yourself out for your community? How is God going to help me create culture in my city for his glory? That's getting back to like, what was I What's my purpose about? Before? Right. Yeah. God, why yeah. am I here? And as yeah, I yeah. begin to embrace that, then, David, I begin to see my place or my face, I guess, in this world. But part of the journey is this. There's a lot coming at me or against me that wants to tarnish, that wants to divert me from that very focus in my life, that place of, let's call it glory in my life. You went into the life of Jesus as the model that we look to then to live out our everyday life. Uh, I loved what you did, David, was you focused in early on the temptation of Christ and where he was challenged. Can you take us there? Yeah, so the glory part, this marked Jesus' early ministry. Before Jesus did anything, he went to be baptized, and he heard a voice over him that I think every human soul longs to hear. And the voice was from the Father, and he said, This is my Son, whom I love, with him I'm well pleased. This is the thing that every single person longs to hear, an approval from God, not because of what we've done. This Jesus hasn't done anything. He hasn't healed anyone, hasn't walked on water, hasn't raised the dead, hasn't atoned for the sins of the world, nothing. It's the beginning of his ministry, I love you because you were born, period. 
And when the reason why we know this is about identity is because right at the very next sentence, it's the very next chapter in our Bibles, and we tend to read the next chapter like the next day, but this is the next sentence in Matthew. Then Jesus was led in the wilderness by the Holy Spirit to be tempted by the devil. And the devil tempted him by saying, if you are the Son of God, he was tempting Jesus into false identities. He's like, okay, if you are, are you really that loved? Are you really that approved? Prove yourself. Prove your belovedness. Prove your worth. Prove your power. Prove yourself. Prove your glory, and I'll give you this, and I'll give you that, I'll give you this. He was tempted into touching the glory. He was tempted in proving his belovedness. He tempted in like, okay, if you are really God's son and he really loves you, well, jump off this, the temple because he's not going to let you fall. Do you think he really loves you? Then prove it. And so Jesus is tempted in the false identities. And I think we are too. Like, the second we're told and we hear, I'm beloved, we think, well, then I have to prove my belovedness. That's where we get it wrong. I don't have to prove my belovedness. It's there because of Christ's atoning sacrifice, not because of my effort. So because we don't understand whose we are, we buy into that you only live once type of lifestyle and start reaching for anything to anesthetize the pain or the hole that's in us that can only be yeah. filled by Him. Absolutely. And I think for Christians, this message is very elementary and it's very simple. But if this is wrong, then it's like getting basic arithmetic wrong. Everything is wrong after this. If we get our belovedness wrong, then what we, our ministry gets tarnished. Our families get tarnished because we turn ministry or family or job into something it was never meant to be. We turn those into ways that we prove ourselves, that we deserve God's love, the way that we prove that we should exist in this world. And then we adulterate that very thing we're trying to do. We turn a job, not into a job anymore, but a way of saying, this job will carry the weight of my soul. It was never designed to do that. We turn family into this is the way I prove that I'm a human and I deserve to be alive. But it was never meant to do that. We turn our kids into ways to say that I'm a worthy parent. And it was never meant to be that. And so we almost crush our kids under our own expectations. And so what it does, it frees us. Like all those things can be just those things. We turn these things into things they were never meant to be because we don't know who we are. And we're like, oh, car, save me. Oh, family, save me. Oh, next relationship, save me. Oh, job, save me. Like those things were never meant to do that. You are beloved. Rest in that. And let those things just be things. Hmm. Virtually every man, David, I've ever met doesn't really believe, I'll add women, doesn't really believe that God loves them. They can sing yeah. songs, God is good all the time, all the time God is good, but he's, well, he can't be good to me because of who I am or what it is about me. And, and you're right, we get lost. You challenged toward the end of the book about being undragoned. I'd like to end the program this way, David. Behind every book, every message, there is a story. And there was a story for you. There was a time it got dark for you. Do you mind sharing that as we go out and what God did and is doing inside of you now? Yeah, in my own life, I was a pastor for a number of years, and then I moved to the coast of California to train as a church planter. And in the middle of doing that, I, I had a job. I got a job at a bank. Here I am about to plant a church in San Francisco. I was working at a bank, and I get fired from my bank because I just couldn't count money. Like, I'll talk to you forever, but I'll forget where I'm at with my $100 bills. <laughs> and I would just keep pay, giving people more money than they should. I should. And, I mean, I was a favorite teller because I gave people <laughs> extra money. And then I'm 30 years old, got fired from an entry-level job at a bank, supposed to go plant a church, have to get a job at Starbucks. My boss is like 19 years old, 
I'm working at a high school for, as a security guard in the afternoons, working at Starbucks early in the morning, and I completely had a full-on breakdown identity crisis. And then looming over me was this idea of moving to the, one of the most unchurched cities in the nation, the most liberal city in the nation, to plant a church. And I'm like, if I can't hold down an entry-level job, there's no way I can go plant a church in San Francisco. I, I went dark. I mean, that's what I, my friends, I mean, I didn't answer my phone for three days. My wife called my friends and told on me, like, you need to have an intervention. Dave is, I don't know, he's in a deep, dark, depressed place in his life. And my friends came over, they prayed for me. And it wasn't like this, like, aha, flip of the switch moment. It was a journey of me realizing that no matter if I fail or don't fail, if I move to San Francisco and it completely bombs or I succeed, it doesn't change the fact that God loves me. It doesn't change the fact that my identity is in Him. It doesn't change the fact that who I am is who I am in Him. I can fail because I can fail with Christ. And I can go because I'm going to go with Christ. And life is about being with God. And it was this journey of, you know, my job is great, but it's not my life. Christ is my life. And my marriage is great, but it's not my life. Christ is my life. And it was that journey of understanding that that freed me to move to San Francisco and not put so much pressure on myself to plant a church that was successful. I can just go there and be myself and go, this is what God, whoever God made me to be, for some reason God wants that in San Francisco, so I'll just be me because that's who God made me, and, and then we'll see what happens. And I think it was that authenticity, that, that transformation that happened in California that changed me when I moved to San Francisco that everyone thought that reality was called reality because it was real. It was authentic. Because God taught me that early on. Like, just be yourself. There's only one you. And I can trust that, that by the grace of God, he's making me more and more into his image. So I moved here and I can just be free to be me. And once that happened, a light bulb went off. And it was just this really cool thing. And I had to keep doing it. I had to do it with this book. And then in the back of my mind, like, what if no one likes it? What if, no, what, what if it doesn't sell? What if this? What if that? And I had to go back to the same place. If it doesn't, then it doesn't. No big deal. My identity is found in Christ. That doesn't mean that everything's going to be easy and that there won't be any trouble. But what it does mean, David, is you begin moving from bondage to freedom. Yeah. Yeah, freedom. I like that. They may take our lives, but they will never take our freedom. Yeah, freedom. That's why Christ set us free for freedom, like for us to be free. And I think sometimes Americans were free. I think we're the land of the free, but our freedom, because we think we can live with no limits, we're actually in bondage, and I'm bondage to ourselves. David, closing thought from you on the truest thing about you. The truest thing about you will not be found in what you do, but what's been done for you by Christ, or what you have, but who has you, the Father has you. That's the truest thing about you. I've been doing all that I can to hold it all together by peace I've been feeling like a failure trying to be braver than I could ever be it's just not me
trying to belong here But it's just not my home I've been holding on so tightly To all the things that I think That satisfy my soul But I'm Acts 17 verse 26 says, And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live out on the face of the earth. A little later he says that they should seek God in hope that they might feel their way toward him, and I love this, and find him. And then it goes on to say, Yet he is not actually far from each one of us, for it is in him that we live and move and have our being. Jesus said in John 15 verses 1 and 5, I'm the vine, you're the branches. Without me, you can do, you know it, nothing. So how have you been living your life? You look into everything else to give you identity and meaning and purpose, and yes, it's coming up empty. Isn't it time to turn back and understand what it means to be created in the image of God and in a relationship with someone who loves you? His name is Jesus. When you understand that, I promise you, when you understand the love of God, the reach of God towards you, hear me, that's the game changer. That's what David Lomas, Pastor David Lomas, was sharing out of his book, The Truest Thing About You. If you want to learn more about Pastor Lomas, his book, The Truest Thing About You, resources that we have to help strengthen your personal walk with Christ, your faith, to help you strengthen your love and marriage, to help you build a strong family, visit us at lifeloveandfamily.net. Our website again, lifeloveandfamily.net. Or you can call us toll-free at 855-455-3264. That toll-free number again, 855-455-3264. Remember this, the truest thing about you is that God loves you. How about turning your heart back toward Him? Thanks for listening. Life, Love, and Family. It's a rescue story and it's a story of faith. Dan was so depressed, all he could do was lay in bed. He had the shades drawn. He never left his house. He couldn't even talk to his 13-year-old son. And his wife, she knew that God had healing for them. Even though he had tried all different kinds of therapy, all different kinds of medications, she knew there was something out there. She says as soon as she saw the website at aplaceofhope.com, she knew that that was going to be the key to her husband Dan's healing. And it was. The whole person approached. It didn't just treat him with medicine, not just with therapy, but his entire body and his spirit healed at the center, a place of hope. 
Dan's been healed a year now. His family restored his life back. And you can get your life back, too, if you've been struggling with depression. Make that phone call today, 888-771-5166. 888-771-5166. The Center, a place of hope.